Hey, welcome to the Scrum GBH's Politics Podcast. I'm Adam Riley. The death of Michaela Miller, a 16-year-old from Hopkinton, is a huge loss for her family. But since Miller's body was found last month hanging from a tree in the woods near her home, it's become something else, a case study in the distrust an increasingly wide segment of Americans have for law enforcement and a political crisis for Middlesex County District Attorney Marion Ryan, who is leading the investigation into Miller's death. In this episode of The Scrum, Zoe Matthews talks through what we know, what we don't know, and where things might go from here with two GBH reporters who've been following the case closely, Tori Bedford and Philip Martin. Tori, I want to start with you. You attended a vigil for Michaela Miller last week. What can you tell us about her? So her mother, uh, Calvina Struthers, spoke at the rally and she kind of gave a description of Michaela and of their relationship. She said that she loved to write, that she had dreams of being a journalist, that she was supposed to tour colleges this summer with her mother. She said that, you know, she loved anything buffalo chicken flavored that she loved to eat. She had the 16-year-old stomach where she could just eat so much food and her mother would always make fun of her for it. And she said that they were best friends and every night before they said goodnight and went to bed, she would text her to bring her a cup of chamomile tea. And sometimes um, Michaela would bring her the tea before she had texted her, you know, how she liked it. And she was just so heartbroken at this loss, I think, they were extremely close and I think she just wanted to kind of communicate to everyone that, you know, this reminder that this case is is so sensationalized and, you know, it's everywhere now, but that it it's about a real family that experienced a huge loss and is grieving. And no matter what we find out, no matter what revelations come out of any investigation, that's not going to bring her back. Thanks, Tori. I do want to get into the details, what little we have about her death. On April 18th, police say a jogger found her body in the woods by a walking trail near her house. And in initial information, they said they believed Miller died by suicide. But the family has pushed back on that, and activists have pushed back on that, and this case has sort of exploded from there. Can you fill us in on some of the gaps? So a huge part of this case comes out of this altercation that occurred on the night of the 17th involving Miller and I think five other teenagers at the apartment building. We recently learned that the apartment building doesn't have any video footage. So they had this really elaborate high-tech video system that they had just set up and apparently it hasn't worked for several weeks. And so there's, you know, the DA had told people that there's no video footage. And I believe it was NBC10 that confirmed this with the apartment building. Um, there was some kind of altercation that occurred. And that night after Miller had returned home, Struthers, her mother, had called the police to report. She said that her daughter had been jumped. And Middlesex District Attorney Marion Ryan, she was on Greater Boston recently, and she confirmed that there had been an altercation, that the police had confirmed that, you know, she had a cut lip, there were, you know, she was injured. And then later that night, that's when the death occurred. So the next day, her body was found. And what a lot of people are waiting on now is what comes out of the medical examiner's office, because... Initially, the police had said there didn't appear to be any signs of struggle, and she was found on a tree. But I think that what we're really waiting for is an analysis of, of her body. 
one major theme that's come out of this is that there has been so much news coverage, but there's also been a lot of rumors that have circulated on Facebook groups, community Facebook groups and social media and a lot of allegations that are being thrown around. And I think from two of the biggest parties here, the people that we really want to be listening to, Calvina Struthers, uh, Miller's mother, recently at the rally, she said that they haven't really come to a conclusion. They're obviously really suspicious of everything that they're being told. They don't feel like the authorities have been transparent with them. But she says that she does not believe what she's being told because it doesn't all check out. And that doesn't mean that she doesn't think that there could have been a suicide. It doesn't mean that she doesn't think that, you know, there might be possible answers here. It just means that she thinks that the truth isn't necessarily being provided to this family. She's very suspicious of that. What I believe is if they would not have immediately made a conclusion regarding my child's death and did a proper investigation or did any investigation initially at all, we wouldn't be here. Tori, can you just clear up what the family is alleging versus what activists like Monica Cannon Grant of Violence in Boston are alleging? Because there is some space there, is there not? So Monica Cannon Grant, through her organization Violence in Boston, is actually funding an independent autopsy of Miller's body. And so I think that brings up kind of this theme of like even the medical examiner isn't being trusted. The DA's office isn't being trusted. The police aren't being trusted. And so when we have a system where you know, you see these gaps and failures of transparency coming from these agencies and these systems, you know, what else can you seek? Like, what el- who else can you look to for the answers? Canon Grant has used words like murder, has used words like lynching at these rallies, um, has said that it is directly related to the incident the previous evening with the teenagers and the attack or the jumping or the fight or whatever people are calling it, that these two things are directly correlated. Um, The DA's office said that easy pass records, cell phone records, all these different pieces of uh, testimonies, witnesses, interviews, that they prove that the children were not in that area where uh, Miller's body was found. But I think that there are still some people who are out there saying that these two things are related that she may have been attacked again, regardless of whether or not that's the case, that there needs to be justice for the fact that a crime was committed by these teenagers against Miller. Cannon Grant has continued to say that everything about this is suspicious and that they're not really buying any of it. Justice for Michaela is the goal. The goal today is to get justice in this case. Everything we know goes against this suicide narrative, and we just want answers. Good, bad, or indifferent, we just want answers. Philip, the family has essentially voted no confidence in DA Marion Ryan. They've called her to turn over the investigation to the FBI, citing a lack of transparency and a lack of communication from the whole process. How do you rate the investigation as we know it publicly to date? Well, it's it's hard to rate it. Uh, I would say that if you were to rate it by its by what happened initially, you would have to rate it pretty poorly, because the uh, state police and local police aired. Uh, as did the uh, DA's office in echoing uh, what they aired uh, in the first few hours of this uh, case. Uh, and what they aired was that uh, the assumption was that this was not, they did not see this as suspicious. And that's particularly problematic in this highly toxic and highly fueled of uh, uh, social atmosphere uh, that is uh, uh, without any question, there's reason to question 
uh, whether a, a case was racially tinged. Uh, someone complained about it the other day, saying that there's a racial tinge to this, uh, to this case. Well, of course there is. A black teenager, 16 years old, found hanging in a uh, all white, uh, virtually all white community, of course is racially tinged. And of course people are gonna be suspicious uh, from the very beginning. And so when you ask about how I would rate it, at least in its initial stages, very poorly, where we are now may be a little bit different. I think Middlesex DA, Miriam Ryan, was circumspect in basically reviewing the details of this case at her press conference. She, at that point, said that no, no conclusions have been reached uh, in this case, as opposed to, again, the assumption or the, the declaration, essentially, that the case did not seem suspicious at the very beginning. Uh, now she's saying uh, no conclusions have been reached. Uh, they're waiting again, as Tory said, to for the medical examiner's determination, and that uh, and she hasn't ruled out murder, by the way, uh, in this case. When asked specifically about that, if they if that had been ruled out, she said nothing had been ruled out at this point. I think what they did not take into consideration politically and in the context of uh, a, this social justice atmosphere is how folks would react to these initial pronouncements. Now that the, uh, a, a time has gone by and now that we see the demonstrations, we hear the accusations, we hear the, the concerns expressed by, as Tori said, by the mother, by, by, um, by activists, I think now you see the DA and you see uh, uh, law enforcement, if you will, catching up, uh, catching up with the, with the belief that something else occurred here. Now, what DA Ryan did, basically in accounting for the movements of the young people who were engaged in this fight with uh, Michaela, that was a very smart thing to do. But it, it's still not conclusive. Even though she pointed out uh, the GPS records and the, uh, the turnpike uh, records uh, and other records uh, that accounted for the whereabouts of these kids, I think there is, in fact, a concern that perhaps her suicide, again, if it is a suicide, it could have been preceded by this fight that occurred. We don't know that. If it's not a suicide, well, there are other uh, uh, possibilities uh, that uh, have not been weighed at least in terms of the initial declarations by the DA's office and the state uh, and the state police, and that is to say the possibility of another suspect. Uh, that is now, of course, part of this broad statement by the DA uh, that no conclusions have been reached in this case. We know that within that purview of no conclusions, it, it, there exists a possibility. Uh, that someone else could have been involved in Michaela's death. I also want to point out that the uh, DA recently said that she doesn't have, that her office doesn't have enough evidence to press charges against the teenagers who were involved in the altercation. And I think a lot of people on the activism side and from the family are saying, well, these things clearly seem to be connected. And regardless of whether or not they're connected, this, this incident needs to be investigated because a crime occurred. I also wanted to point out that uh, Miller's mother says that she requested on the 18th, the morning of the 18th, she requested the police logs of both the incident from when she had called the police to report the altercation and also the police logs of finding her daughter's body. And she says that the police were not able to provide either of those to her. At this point, Philip, you're saying they're trying to catch up. So Sean Ellis, who was incarcerated for two decades for a murder that he did not commit, spoke at the rally for Miller. There were a lot of 
activists and groups and organizations because I don't know that they can catch up. I don't know that after you have established a precedent where the trust has been totally dissolved and you don't feel that transparency if you can catch up and rebuild that trust with the community. And so then you bring in other people who even anecdotally can say, as Sha as Ellis said at the rally, you know, I was the victim of a cover-up and cover-ups do happen. I spent 28 years of my life, I was arrested at 19 years old, I spent 28 years of my life fighting a cover-up, fighting a cover-up of the Boston Police Department and the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office of the 90s and early 2000s. It wasn't until a black woman named D.A. Rachel Rollins got in the office, right, and started to hear my white attorney, right, expose the corruption. So I want to say to you that cover-ups happen. Cover-ups happen. We should just note here that D.A. Ryan has denied those allegations of any sort of cover-up. The allegations that are out there and that we have heard calls from about the fact that our office is either ignoring or truly even worse, covering up what happened here because Michaela was black or because she was a member of the LBGTQIA community. I wanna be completely clear, that is patently false. One bit I find really interesting is that, as you both mentioned, Ryan went on the record saying that Michaela Miller was attacked by a group of teens earlier that night, that a crime was committed. But when asked why she hasn't charged any of them with a crime, she said that even with Michaela's own witness statement and the DA's interviews of these other kids involved, they don't have enough evidence to charge them with any sort of crime. Am I reading too much into that, or does that show us anything about how the DA's office is investigating this? that they clearly don't consider this a murder. I wouldn't say clearly. I think what they are clearly not doing is attributing it to the kids that were involved in this altercation. Now, again, there may have been someone else. That is one of the possibilities that they're looking at, one of the theories that they're examining. But by and large, they have precluded these kids from, the, uh, from at least that aspect of the investigation involving murder based on, again, the uh, tracking the whereabouts of these of these individuals. One of the other concerns for Miriam Ryan, and it will become a political concern for her as well, and she knows this because she preceded many statements at the press conference by saying that you know my record. Uh, it is important for me that this thing be transparent, and it's important that there that because of the racial nature of this, uh, that you understand that I am, I'm, I'm paraphrasing her obviously, that I am uh, someone who basically pays attention to uh, racial and civil rights violations. And so that becomes part of the problem for the district attorney, basically conveying her earnestness and now having people believe that she is earnest. That is the problem for her down the home stretch of this investigation, because it comes also, don't forget, after some other very serious cases that occurred within Middlesex, two of them that are particularly watershed, that did not occur on her watch, but she inherited the investigation. One was the killing 
by a SWAT team in Framingham of Yuri Stamps in 2010. Absolutely a horrendous situation where a man was basically in his 60s, shot to death by a SWAT officer while he had, was face down on the floor of his own home. There have been calls and calls and calls for a thorough investigation of this and that the police officers involved in that be arrested, that charges be brought, that were, or, and that a grand jury be convened. That did not occur under the previous district attorney, Gerald Leone's uh, watch. Uh, and the second is the case connected uh, to the Waltham triple murder uh, involving uh, individuals connected to the Marathon bombing, including Johar Zonayev's brother, uh, who was believed to be involved in that. That case, by the way, has not concluded. <laughs> That's still ongoing, and that has also political hot potato for years for, for the Middlesex uh, DA, and that also engendered a degree of concern and questions about her office. Obviously, it did not disrupt things so much that she wasn't reelected, but now, on top of those cases, now you add the Michaela case, it has become a political concern and a political issue uh, how she prosecutes these cases, investigates these cases uh, going forward. There are some parallels in the Waltham murders case as well, where there were allegations from the family that they were told not to speak to the media by authorities. Um, and so that was an interesting thing in this case as well, where Miller's family was allegedly told not to speak to the media and not to protest. That's how they began the rally. They said, you, you were told not to come out here and do this, and we're doing it anyway. There are also some parallels between this case, I think, and another case that was under the jurisdiction of the Middlesex DA, which was the Moses Harris case. And so that was a case of a young black man who was pursued by police um, who were attempting to arrest him. The Lowell police don't use body cameras or dash cam cameras. They had 10 seconds of surveillance footage that showed him being pursued by a police officer and disappearing into the night. And the police officer was holding a taser the authorities say he didn't discharge the taser, but it brought up all these questions for the family and they felt like the police department wasn't being transparent with them. And when there is a lack of transparency and the only meaningful accounting of the incident um, is coming from the authorities, I think that illustrates these problems where if you have communities that don't trust the police, and I think there's a lot of communities, particularly communities of color, who don't have a good trust relationship with policing systems for legitimate reasons, I think that that brings up you know, these these misunderstandings and also this kind of this mystery of like, we don't ever really know. I mean, his body was found 12 weeks later, 11 or 12 weeks later um, in the Merrimack River. And it was similar. It was a similar situation. It wasn't I don't think it was a jogger. It was like a passerby. And the family just feels like they just want answers. They also were calling for an FBI investigation. Miller's family is saying okay, the Middlesex DA, you basically ruined your your shot at this investigation. Like, they don't trust anything that she says anymore. There was a point where she had said Miller walked, I think, 1,300 steps that were counted on her iPhone, and her iPhone had recorded 1,300 steps, which is the same distance from her house to the location where her body was found. And her mother has disputed this. I've actually emailed the DA for a response on this claim. I haven't heard back um, for the past few days. But she said that Miller's iPhone didn't have phone data. So it didn't have cellular data. It was just like a Wi-Fi phone. And she confirmed with Apple that if that phone was only on Wi-Fi, it would lose its ability to track steps when she walked away from the house and away from the Wi-Fi connection. 
So she's saying the DA just Googled how many steps it would take from our house to the tree. And that's a lie. And so every piece of evidence or claim that comes forward is suspicious. You know, it would be really unprecedented if these phone calls that the DA is getting asking her to step down from this investigation, if the FBI were to come in and investigate this, it would be, I think, really unprecedented. But that's what now the family and these activists are asking for. Philip, what do you make of the calls for an independent investigation altogether? I find it interesting that there is a a reliance on a federal investigation. I find that curious because, of course, in the past, civil rights organizations have been loath to turn to the FBI to investigate racial transgressions. I mean, you go back to Fred Hampton. Imagine if the FBI was tasked with investigating MLK's death. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Well, you, you raise a great example, or Fred Hampton's death. I find it curious that so little trust in local authorities uh, that they're reaching out to the feds. And of course, this also comes at a time, and I think we can make the connection, part of that distrust is not just related to this specific case of Michaela's death. A lot of that distrust, again, is part of the residue from the summer of uh, 2020, a uh, summer of social protest. And then it's also related to the January 6th events, where we find out that over 20% of those who took over the Capitol attempting to overthrow Congress were either police officers, sheriff deputies, prison employees, or military people. And also, of course, people who largely reflected local police jurisdictions. I think this is definitely related to that broad distrust that many people are feeling, uh, particularly people of color, uh, toward, toward the police. How do you think this case plays out in today's environment of policing compared to even two years ago? Philip, you mentioned in the last episode of The Scrum about the Boston Police Union and Andrea Campbell how law enforcement in the state are waking up to a very different environment where there's less implicit trust and and less fear of their power over investigations. Well, I see it uh, even in the context of reporting, for example. At one point, you'd find reporters, not not everyone, certainly not Tori and I, (laughs) would accept a police officer's word uh, at face value. And that's been true for law enforcement for a long time. The the authoritative source, as we used to say, and the Associated Press still uses that term, the authoritative source uh, was, and for many uh, reporters still is considered, police officers, district attorneys, law enforcement in general. Uh, And we would sometimes jettison, abandon that rule which we all learned as journalists which is to be skeptical of, uh, of sources uh, and so on and so forth. But we have almost, as a rule, accepted, uh, not particularly sac- in a sacrosanct way, but close to it, the word of police officers. If this interpretation of reality uh, occurred, then that is the interpretation of reality we would run with. Uh, and I think that that has changed, and it's changed for sure uh, with the general public. Now, many black folk, Uh, And brown people have long uh, been suspicious and skeptical of police and and refused to accept their word for it. It had to prove it. Uh, But now we're seeing that this is permeating uh, in a a broader sense, Uh, if you will, seeping out to to broader communities, middle-class white Americans, 
progressives. Uh, Hopkinton. Hopkinton. Uh, progressives have always uh, felt that way. But let's just say liberal America it has been become more and more skeptical. Um, and when it suits them, even conservatives uh, feel more skeptical of those interpretations of reality. Uh, for example, they certainly had a totally different ter interpretation of reality about what happened on January 6th when it was told from the point of view of the Capitol Police. Um, I'm, I'm just, that's just an example of how conservatives themselves might be more skeptical of police interpretation when it doesn't fit the narrative that they are, um, uh, uh, that they've constructed. But for many people of color, it's, it hasn't fit the narrative because we, it's often contradicted by the facts, whether it be uh, traffic stops, uh, uh, whether it be uh, uh, interpretation of reality of a police shooting, whether it be uh, how a prison uh, uprising might have begun. Uh, often, often um, contradicted by facts on the ground uh, that aren't, that are often not elucidated because people like, uh, uh, because a lot of reporters uh, have failed to basically um, uh, be more skeptical. Or I also want to bring up the George Floyd initial police report, which I believe ah, said that he, he had suffered from a medical issue and died. And that was pretty much all that it said. You, you had said that we were never going to take police statements at face value, you and I as reporters, but I also think that we don't really take most things at face value. Like there's that old mantra of like, if your mother says she loves you, check it out, right? Like, I think that the issue with police statements is that so often that is the only source of information about what happened. And so I think it's an interesting question to broaden and say, well, what kind of technological things could we be bringing in? Obviously, body cameras, they don't show a whole story. They do show only one side of a perspective or whatever. Cameras on buildings, maybe they're broken for the, they happen to be broken for the two weeks that a horrible uh, incident happens and they don't catch them. You know, in terms of accountability, I think the question is, the fact is that a lot of the trust between communities and police departments is worn absolutely so thin after the last few years of people being able to take videos on their cell phones and show what's been happening for decades and decades before that. And as you mentioned, there's so many communities that haven't had a trusting relationship with the police for a really long time. And now that that's coming into the zeitgeist and like the public consciousness, how do we answer that? How do we solve those problems? How can we, you know, the people bring up talking about like defunding the police and bringing in different resources to replace them or what that might mean. And that's also kind of a big question mark at this point because we don't really have a good model, especially not in America, for what that would even look like. So I think it's, you know, when you see these cases I, as a reminder, yeah, we are talking about a family who they're grieving. George Floyd, obviously, you know, they they people said that they got some justice in that verdict of Derek Chauvin, but it's not really justice if he's not with them, right? And so I think we we reminded that these are cases about real people who are suffering, but it also brings up this huge. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It brings up this huge amount of context where it's like we have these systems, and what happens when they break down, and who do they serve, and who has been calling out and saying, this hasn't served me for generations. I wanted to end back where we started at the vigil. And Tori, you mentioned this earlier about how Sean Ellis was there and spoke. And he's not a politician, but very much a public figure now. 
And I found it interesting just seeing the, the politicians who are aligning themselves with the family, given how little we know about this case right now. And I wonder, should we be surprised by that? Or is that just the nature of this case and where we are in terms of examining policing? I think that the family had wanted more attention on this case. The, the sort of double-edged sword of this all is I think that it's, I can't imagine how difficult it is to have asked for this attention and then to be just bombarded by this story constantly and this reminder of this loss. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley has said, you know, there needs to be an investigate, an independent investigation. I think um, former Congressman Joe Kennedy was at the rally. Uh, former Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson spoke at length at the rally. Rasan Hall from the ACLU was there. Other people from the ACLU, the NAACP, Mayor Yvonne Spicer was there. Karen Spilka, the Senate president, was there. So there were a lot of people who were there in solidarity and support. And when the family says, we want answers, we want an investigation, our trust has been broken, I think that fundamentally those are the things that they're supporting. I think some of the activists, you know, they use more kind of dramatic language because they give fiery speeches. And, you know, I think I'm not saying that's not legitimate, but I think that for the politicians that I've seen come forward, they're basically just reiterating the sort of basic ask from the family. We're looking at a mayoral election in Boston where multiple candidates, we've got a lot of women of color in the race, and multiple candidates have offered plans to take some of the budget away from the police. And it's not this revolutionary, like totally abolish the police idea that many activists have asked for for the last year, but the idea that politicians who are, you know, you know, candidates for mayor are talking about the concept of defunding the police is a really interesting cultural shift from where we were even a year ago. Well, I would just say one other thing very briefly. Um, another story, a story I covered this weekend is about um, Native Americans, Native American women filling uh, in girls, but as well as other members of, of, of Indian country who feel neglected uh, when members of their tribe, their reservation, their nation go missing, and they feel neglected by police uh, and by law enforcement uh, in general. Now, some attention is being paid to this because of the appointment of uh, the new Interior Secretary, who is uh, Native American, and she's made it a priority to investigate these uh, hundreds of cases of missing girls and murdered uh, Native American women, including one in South Boston, a woman named uh, Nanette uh, Olison, who is, uh, uh, I should not say murdered, I should say uh, uh, the mystery surrounding her death uh, is still one that uh, the family has been asking people to pay attention to. And I, I bring this up again with the issue of police, skepticism of police in mind, uh, in that the, these families um, have long been skeptical of police interpretations of events, and they're particularly skeptical of the circumstances surrounding the death of this young woman. It would make sense uh, for, uh, if this is not already priority, uh, for the district attorney of Suffolk County, Rachel Rollins, for the Boston Police Department and others to maybe take another look at these cases uh, rather than uh, accept the circumstances uh, that were presented to them when these uh, cases like this, including that of Nanette Olson, um, Olson took place. Philip, Tori, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.
And that is going to do it for another installment of The Scrum. As always, thanks for joining us. Please feel free to talk back to us. You can email us at scrum at wgbh.org or find us on Twitter. Zoe is at Zoe S. Matthews with one T. I'm at Riley Adam. And Peter Kadzis, who is off this week, is at Kadzis. The Scrum is a production of GBH News. We'll talk to you again soon.